Yes, you are in. And Casey's back. The Jogging Jesus, part two. And after this, Casey and I get to break down what happened coming out of this meeting. That'll be the following episode from this one. So without further ado, oh, any of you also fresh with religion, great listen for you or someone else that you know. Here you go. Now I'm burying, looking head for sale. I didn't hear a thing. So, for those of you guys who don't know, I was supposed to speak in January, and then three days before, my whole house gets leveled with COVID. Like, I've never been, that video that you saw, I was like hopped up on a bunch of stuff. And so, um, yeah, it feels good to be back. So you guys, as I've been praying about what God has for us tonight, you know, normally when someone gets up on stage, they tell you who they are. And I feel like God's saying, before you tell them who you are, tell them who you were. And so, I was raised by a single mom. And in our household, we didn't love Jesus, we didn't know Jesus, but my mom did a good job of knowing and loving me. And you guys know this part of the story. Right around the age of six, I already developed a, an addiction to sex, uh, to sex. And it started out with pornography. And then it moved into me trying to get other boys and girls my age to engage in these acts. And every single time I engaged, every single time I looked at a screen or opened up a magazine or, or had another person engage me, I went away from that encounter feeling like there was a stain on my soul. You guys, have you guys ever felt that before? And so my response to it, my response to the dirtiness, was to lie. I became a compulsive liar. Like I told stories about everything because I had to hide. Like no one could actually know who Casey was. Well, right around this time, I started going to Sunday school. And at Sunday school, I hear a lot of stories about the bravery of David and and the faithfulness of Abraham and the humility of Moses and all these great stories about these great men in this great book. And I went away from that encounter thinking this thought. What it means to be a Christian is that you have to be a good person and all of your good deeds have to outweigh your bad. Otherwise, you're not going to heaven. And from that, I was devastated. Rather than drawing closer to God by going to church, in my filthy state, I didn't know a whole lot, but I knew this one thing. I wasn't a good person. And so after leaving church, I went further into this filth. And here's what you have to know about my lineage. I come from a line of men or what it meant to be a man in my family was you had a lot of sex, you got drunk a lot, and you got into a lot of fights. I never knew my grandpa not in a wheelchair. And by God's grace, I think he got saved at the end of his life, but I never knew my grandpa in a wheel, not in a wheelchair because after, he was such, a, he was such a, an abuser that in his youth, when his girlfriend broke up with him, he broke into her house one late night to beat her up, and her new boyfriend was standing there with a 
from the spine. That's what I come from. And that's where I was going. I'm one of the last people who should be on the stage right now. I should be drunk, paralyzed, or dead right now. But that's who God comes for. That's who Jesus came for. He came for the broken. He came for the lost. He came for those that the world saw as dirty. And so right around the age of 15, I started going to church with my girlfriend. And I heard the gospel for the first time. And I remember sitting in the church and the pastor getting on stage. And he said this sentence that I didn't know existed. He said, your good deeds will never save you. You will never be able to work enough. I don't care how much you come into church. I don't care how much you pray. I don't care how much money you give to the poor. You will never be able to buy your way into heaven. But here's the good news. There is a God who loves you so much that he stepped down from heaven. And he did the work for you. He was beaten for you. He died for you. So that he could swing the gates of heaven open for you. And if you want to know this God tonight, repent of your sins and go meet him in the water of baptism. My life has changed that day. For the first time in my life, I was clean. And the reason that that's a big deal, when you're as dirty as I was, to be clean for the first time, it does something to you. Jesus did something for me that religion never could. He saved me. And he didn't just save me from this world. He saved me from myself, from my actions. This isn't in my notes. I wonder if there's anyone in here who feels like they have fallen too far. Feels like you need to be saved today. He's eagerly waiting. He's always ready whenever you are. So you guys can turn to Colossians 2. We're going to start in 16. Um, so the Apostle Paul, tonight he's going to teach us that Jesus is greater than religion. And the way he's going to go about this is he's going to call out the three key religions that we're trying to pull Colossae away from Jesus or trying to add to the gospel. And so the first religion that he's going to call out tonight is legalism. And what legalism is, is it's this belief that if you keep all the traditions, if you keep all the rules, that's how you get into heaven. So let's read. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or what you drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths, for these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. I have a gorgeous wife. I mean, she's smoking, you guys. And there's times when I'm away from home and I start to miss her. And when I start to miss her, I pick up my phone and I start scrolling through pictures. The pictures aren't my wife. The pictures are a 2D image. They don't have flesh, they don't have blood. Like, they can't hold me, they can't cry with me when I'm sad or laugh with me when I'm happy. 
I don't have a relationship with the picture. The point of the picture is to remind me that I have a gorgeous wife at home that I can't wait to get to. Traditions are meant to be a picture. Holidays are meant to be a picture that reminds us that we have an amazing God, like we can't wait to get to him, because man, he is so much better than any pleasure in this world. Like Easter. Easter is to remind us that God came down, that he was real, that he actually died, that he actually resurrected, that he came for us, and that should stir up our affections. But when legalism crept into traditions, rather than making um, rather than making it about God, they made it about the picture. They made it about the traditions, and so they put all these rules on it. And so, if you go to Jerusalem today, do you know that on the Sabbath they can't turn on a light switch? Because this action click, that's considered work. They can't press a button for the elevator because, boop, that's work. Like, how exhausting. A day that was, the Sabbath was meant to be this day where you're going to rest. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do my bills. I'm not going to work. I'm just going to spend time with Jesus. It was meant to be a day that we longed for, that we couldn't wait for. And instead it turned into a day of stress of, oh, did I accidentally turn on a light switch? Did I accidentally press a button? The only thing that legalism does is either it makes a person proud or it makes a person hopeless. Because if they can keep the law, then they get to point fingers at others. They get to look down on others. But if they can't keep the law, now you feel hopeless like I did. Now you give up like I did. As Christ followers, we're never to stand at the cross and point fingers. We're meant to kneel at the cross and say, there's room. There's room for you. I know what you looked at last night, but there's room for you. I know that you feel like you've slid back too many times, but there's room for you. There's room for you. Our God is a God who makes room. And Paul is telling us, traditions will never save you. They simply point to the one who does. Alright, let's keep reading. 18. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying they've been, they've had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud, and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body, for he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. Alright, the second religion that Paul is going to call out here tonight is known as um, mysticism. Mysticism is this belief system that's hyper-spiritual. It's all about feelings. Mystics believe that truth is found inside of them. Sound familiar today? So the truth is inside of them rather than the truth being in God's word. And so what would happen is they would have a dream, and they, even if the dream contradicted the Bible, they'd take it as fact. They'd have a vision and take it as fact. And pretty soon they start taking people from the church and leading them to worship angels and spirit beings. 
This happens today. If you guys play with the Ouija board, if you guys play with tarot cards, if you're into witchcraft, or go to a fortune teller, or one of the biggest ones today is astrology. Do you know that astrology was started by worshiping Ju uh, Jupiter or Mars? What Paul is saying is if you play around with these things, you're opening yourself up to spirits that aren't of God. And you know what? When they get a hold of you, they don't like letting go. Six years ago, I was on, I was co-leading a missions trip. And it was for high schoolers from Hosanna. And as we're on this missions trip, we went to this church, and they invited some students up to give their testimony. And this 16-year-old girl, she gets up, and she's part of our group, and she gives her testimony. And as she's going to sit back down, she full-on manifests the demon. Like, I mean, she is, she's gnawing at the air. She is slithering around on the ground, like terrifying her group members. She was a Christian. She came to church. She read her Bible. And yet a demon was still able to cling to her. Because here's the thing, you might have the Holy Spirit in you, but if you play around with Satan's toys, you will soon find that Satan's playing around with you. And so Paul's saying, angels can't save you. Spirits didn't die for you. Only Jesus did. Alright, let's keep going. 20. You have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as you use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. This is one of the most dangerous verses in the scripture. Because it's so easy to read Paul saying, don't follow after the rules of the world. Things like don't touch, don't taste, don't handle. And to go, sweet, I get to drink as much alcohol as I want. I get to whore around as much as I want. I get to sin as much as I want so long as I believe in Jesus. Paul's not teaching that. Instead, what Paul is doing is he's going after the third religion which is known as asceticism. Asceticism is this belief, and I'll put up a, a picture on the screen. Asceticism is this belief that through strong, uh, severe bodily denial, you will work your way to heaven. And this belief is starting to work its way into the church. And so what these people would do is they would torture themselves. Some of them would build tall, tall pillars like you're seeing there on the left. And it would only be about four feet, five feet wide, and they would live up there in the elements, no blanket, no change of clothes, no toilet, and they'd live up there for years. Some of them would put giant steel collars on their neck to make it impossible to go indoors. Others would only eat stale bread because they felt that they'd fall into gluttony if they ate something like a cheeseburger. And then others, they would take whips 
take off their clothes and just start beating themselves. Because they believe that if they sinned, that maybe them beating themselves will keep God from beating them. What Paul's saying is you don't have to beat yourself. Christ was already beaten for you. What he's teaching here is that it might seem impressive, like to have discipline is a good thing. To torture yourself is not a good thing. See, works, discipline, it can change the habit of your hands, but it will never change the motivation of your heart. Only relationship changes your heart. Jesus didn't just come to the earth to save you. He didn't just come to the earth to die on the cross. He came to the earth to walk with us and laugh with us and dance with us and sing with us to grow a relationship with us in hopes that as we grow in our love for him, our hearts might actually change and not just the actions of our hands. When you get into the water of baptism, you're not doing so to escape hell. You're not getting baptized to get heaven. You're getting baptized to get Jesus. It's all about Him. And as you grow in your love for Him, as you grow in your relationship with Him, it becomes almost impossible to sin. It becomes much more difficult when you really love Him. And so let's go on. I'm almost out of time. So we're going to move on to 3, Colossians 3. Since you've been raised to a new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. How many of you guys heard Asbury lately? Any of you? Okay, yeah, some of you. So Asbury is this little college campus in Kentucky. And one month ago, um, they were having a chapel service. They have three chapel services a year, or excuse me, a week. And so this was just a normal chapel service. And at the end of the service, 20 of the students were so convicted that they get on their knees and they start repenting. And then afterwards, they get up and they just start worshiping Jesus. And as people are walking past that auditorium, they start hearing the singing, and they join in. And then, they, then as the singing grows louder, more people join in. And then eventually the student runs out of the, out of the auditorium, and he runs to the classes, and he goes, revival's breaking out. And before you know it, 1,500 students are packed into this auditorium, praising God. And what was meant to be a one-hour service did not stop at one hour. It did not stop at two hours. It did not stop at a day or five days. It stopped at 15 days, only when the town started running out of food and they had to shut it down. As the word spread, people from all over the country start traveling there. People from pockets of the world start traveling there. One family sold their car to get plane tickets to get to Asbury. I want to show you a video of what it looked like in the room.
Because when Jesus walked into that auditorium that Wednesday morning, he lit your generation on fire for him. And as these students went back to their campuses, as they went back to their cities, as they went back to their countries, they brought the fire with them. And over 30 college campuses in the United States have lit up on fire for Jesus, and they've been praying all night. 600 people went into Minneapolis in an office building and praised him for 56 hours just two weeks ago. And then I heard this testimony. A missionary in Ethiopia he received a 12-second text, or excuse me, a 12-second video of people worshiping like that. He walked into this Ethiopian village, and he showed them that 12-second video, and the entire village gave their life to Jesus. God is using your generation in a way that he has not used a generation in a very long time. Gen Z, he is using you to reach my generation. He's using you to reach, to reach boomers, to reach Gen X. Because he's not a God of rules. He's not a God of religion. He's not a God of wrath. He's a God of relationship. And he sees you. He sees that your generation has the highest suicide rate that we've ever seen. He sees that your generation is lonely. He sees that your generation is feeling hopeless and feeling pressure. But he also sees your hunger. He wants to meet with you tonight. And we don't have to go to Asbury to meet him. He's simply calling you to reach out your hand and take his. So as Drew plays this last song, I don't want you to jump to your feet right away. I want you to take a minute. I want you to meditate on who Jesus really is to you. I think some of you guys are banking on religion to save you. I think some of you guys have not accepted Jesus because you don't trust him with your life. I have 
experiences of you, but I have not reached the bottom and I'm still hungry. Make them hungry 